I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, even in the middle of a war in Ukraine, diplomats are still working to try to end the fighting, move things forward. The first round of discussions between Russia and Ukraine uh, ended after about five hours. Uh, they did announce, uh, the only thing they really announced was that another meeting uh, was planned soon. Uh, but what happened behind those closed doors? How does diplomacy really take place? Can it work when tensions are this high? Uh, it's time again to get past the headlines. Let's go behind the doors and into the room where it happens. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, one of the guys we know has been in the room where it happens, who understands the art of diplomacy from his experience. Our good friend Miles Hansen, who's the president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah, worked as a diplomat. He's been uh, in these situations before. Miles, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Boyd. It's always always, always good to be on the show. All right, so let's let's start kind of in the the broad sense. Uh, when you're looking at this kind of high level meeting, where you're pulling the diplomats in, uh, you got high tensions. These are high stakes conversations. What does that look like? Where does that begin? You know, it's interesting, Boyd. On this one, I think uh, President Zelensky, uh, President of Ukraine, put it really well when he announced to the Ukrainian people that he was going to send a delegation to talk to uh, Putin and, and and his representatives. He said, look, I have, I'm under no illusion that they seriously want to negotiate a solution to this, but I want to make sure that I'm always demonstrating to the Ukrainian people that I'm doing everything in my power to create peace. And that's exactly what we saw today, where I don't think either side was serious about trying to come to a negotiated solution uh, behind the door. But there is value to both sides to say, hey, we're, we're at least talking to each other, developing the mechanisms of having conversations. And then if and when the conflict gets to a point where where both parties are interested and motivated to try to work something out uh, at the negotiation table and not, not out on the battlefield, they at least have the right contacts. They've gone through the, the process. There you have the mechanism of communication, and then things can get more serious. Yeah, and that diplomacy it really is a, uh, a slow dance, slow dance, right, in terms of just yeah. – Plant, sometimes it is just planting the seeds of trust. Sometimes it's just getting some framework so that when uh, when you do get to that serious moment that you actually can start to negotiate. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so uh, on this one, you know, if you look at the dynamics, you know, Putin is, is bogged down. It's not going as quickly as he hoped. Uh, he is, uh, you know, just catalyzed a global movement against uh, the Putin regime in Russia, inflicting severe pain and costs on the Russian people, and yet uh, still is in control of, of immense military resources. And this is, you know, just the beginning phase of what will likely be a long, drawn-out conflict. And so no real motivation from, from his side to do anything other than if the Ukrainians wanted to, to, to surrender, which in President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people – Clearly uh, not a, even thinking about that. They are mounting an inspiring defense of their country, 
rallying the world to support them in that effort. And so they're not going to be in any mood to try to have any negotiation other than every Russian troop leaving every ounce of Ukrainian territory. Yeah. And uh, it's been interesting to to watch and, and see. And obviously there's been greater resistance than uh, than Vladimir Putin anticipated. His forces haven't been as effective as they thought they would be. And is this is this uh, sitting around the table today? Was was this actually helpful to President Putin to say, well, that's why, you know, we slowed down so we could have, you know, military talks. There's really nothing wrong, uh, nothing to see here. Uh, we're going to keep storming our way through with all of our military power. Uh, but that did that kind of give him a, a little bit of a, yeah, that's, you know, we slowed down because, you know, talks are always worth having because we're not we're not overtaking anything here. You know, that's a really good question, boy. It's interesting that they uh, during the talks, uh, the Russian military ratcheted up artillery attacks yeah. on key Ukrainian cities. I think they were trying to use it as a show of force. My guess is that if we got behind the door, uh, that it, w- it was a lot of bluster from the Russians mm-hmm. uh, letting the Ukrainians know uh, how terrible the consequences are going to be unless if they lay down and surrender right now. And then I saw one picture of one of the Ukrainians wearing a baseball hat. My guess is that their response was, hey, we'll see you on the battlefield. Uh, look what, we, what we've been able to do uh, against your forces thus far. You know, you come to Ukraine, you're going to bleed and die. Yeah. And my guess is that was kind of the nature of the discourse behind the door. But then in terms of the optics outside, you know, maybe Putin tries to use this to say, hey, uh, we're making an effort here, but it's the Ukrainians are intransigent. And they don't want to work on these issues that we uh, are core, core issues for us. Um, but Putin has demonstrated over the past several years, and particularly the past few months and week, that um, he's not overly concerned about what the what the rest of the world thinks about him. I think increasingly moving forward, he's going to have to be very concerned about what the Russian people think about him. Yeah, I think those internal battles are going to be really interesting. And of course, in any of uh, any type of high pressure situation, you're you're always looking for uh, off ramps or or de escalation measures. Uh, is there anything on the horizon that provides either of those things uh, for Vladimir Putin? You know, I think as these sanctions come in to have severe, to inflict severe economic pain on Russia, as it sets in where the Russian people are are really struggling as a result of it, that that's probably the point uh, that we need to get at for Putin to want to take a step back and ask himself. Is this really worth it? And for a megalomaniac like Vladimir Putin, I think that he has to think about his own regime survival and feel like, man, that's getting threatened before he will be motivated uh, to, to find an off ramp that I'm sure Ukraine and the, and the rest of the world would be more than willing to give them. So long as that off ramp does not include Russia uh, expanding or, or exerting uh, total control, expanding its control over Ukrainian territory or political diplomatic control over Ukraine writ large. Yeah. Uh, one of the real critical skill sets, I think, uh, of all great diplomats, and again, especially in those high-pressure rooms, is the ability to be quick to observe uh, and to just watch what's going on, to take that information in and process it and then develop a strategy around it. Uh, Miles, having been in in some of those situations in, in your career, uh, what is it that you're looking for? If you were sitting in the room, what would you be watching, uh, whether that's from the Ukrainian side or whether it's from Russia's side? You know, boy, that's that's a really good insight. Important to think about the underlying power dynamics, right? And in, in, in that's where, you know, President Reagan pieced through strength 
oftentimes it's it's easy to say, you know, well, well, we don't want to ratchet up pressure on Russia or Putin because we don't want to cause him to escalate things. But if you look at the underlying power dynamics, they must be in our favor and in favor of the Ukrainian people in order to see a change in behavior on the Russian side. And sometimes that does mean escalation. It does mean, you know, ratcheting up pressure, increasing conflict and pain in, in, for, uh, for Russian Russian people. And the same is true for the Ukrainian people. If you look at how President Zelensky is approaching this, you know, what are those underlying power dynamics that suggest their ability to hold out, to maintain global support and, and, and push back against the Russians? And as long as those power dynamics are in favor of the Ukrainians, then they're not going to be any mood to sit down and work out some sort of negotiated uh, outcome with the Russians other than a, a complete and total withdrawal from a from Ukraine and, and payments for all the damage they've caused there, which is clearly, based on the power dynamics, not a place that, that, that Putin's at. Yeah. Wow. Great insight, as always. Miles Hansen, he's the president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah. Miles, thanks for joining us and appreciate your input. We'll have you back soon as this continues to play out. All right. Thanks, Boyd. Have a great afternoon. All right. So as we look at the room where it happens, again, a lot of those conversations are, are planting seeds building trust, being quick to observe in terms of what those power dynamics are, as uh, Miles pointed out, uh, and then just looking at off-ramps for de-escalation. And as Miles also pointed out, very important, there are times when you need to ratchet things up and put pressure on. Uh, it is a delicate dance. It is a slow, slow dance. Uh, and at the pace at which uh, the fighting is going right now, I think we're going to continue to see this play out uh, for uh, quite a while to come. There are so many components to all of this, but it's important that we step back and look at process uh, and then get to the principles because that's how you develop a strategy that can produce the right outcome, which is freedom. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.